Well, good morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. And today we are finishing up our series on Proverbs. Well, sort of. Next week we're doing a, um, Doug Coop is coming to us next week and he's going to be preaching sort of a reflective, but he's going to be in Ecclesiastes, which is definitely related to Proverbs, but it's not Proverbs per se. So you can call this the last week if you want. It's up to you. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us together. Pray that you would bless the reading of your Word. We pray that you would bless this time together. God, we pray for the Roberts family. We pray that you would be with them today. They're heavy on our hearts today and on our minds, God. Be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. So this week, our topic from the book of Proverbs is self-control. I had a doozy of a time writing this one. I just like couldn't, couldn't get into it. But I, I gotta say, right, it is really funny when you start working on a sermon about self-control, how you begin to notice all the little things that you do without meaning to. Like, just for today, will you do an exercise with me just for the duration of the sermon? Notice how many times your mind tries to wander. You don't have to keep count. Just notice how often it tries to wander, whether it's to check your phone or to wonder what time it is or to think about what to make for lunch. Anything that isn't paying full, rapt attention to the sermon, just notice. Not that I'm so holy that I deserve your rapt attention, but as an exercise in self-control. It starts to feel very quickly like we have very little self-control. But clearly, it's an important aspect of our lives. In many ways, self-control is the divider between what one might consider a successful life and a failed life. However you want to define those terms, whatever that is, right? Whether it's keeping a marriage together, whether it's managing your health, whether it's excellence at work, whether it's parenting, Even if you wanted to define your success by something as silly as a video game, you would still need to be exercising self-control in order to keep the other aspects of your life in line so that you could succeed in that one. I am not advocating video games as a metric for a successful life, just to be clear. Self-control, you may recall, is one of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 which tells us something important. Self-control is not something that we just come up with, right? But obviously, we play an important part in making use of it. It is still called self-control, after all. God gives us the ability, but we choose how to use it. We read in Proverbs 13, verse 16, that all who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. The contemporary English version puts it this way, and I just really enjoy it because it's every once in a while the Bible says something that's sort of Captain Obvious, and I get a kick out of it. So the CEV says, If you have good sense, you will act sensibly, but fools act like fools. I like that. But this verse tells us wisdom impacts the way that we live. It shows up in our lives. 
And so likewise does a lack of wisdom. It makes itself apparent. So let's talk today about three areas in which the wisdom of self-control appears in our lives, and then we'll finish off with a few ways that we can talk about having more self-control. So the first one is control of our appetites, and this is probably the one that comes to mind first when I say the idea of self-control. Now, our culture defines happiness as whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as it makes you feel good. So much of our culture and society is ordered around this idea. You can think of almost any example you want. Food, delivery, any time of day, any kind of restaurant. You don't have to even leave your house. Love, health standards, hey, as long as it makes you happy. Scripture has a very different idea of what provides fulfillment and enjoyment. One of the Bibles that I, Bible verses that I quote often is Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, Jesus speaking, not me, will find it. Jesus is reminding us that clinging tightly to our lives, trying desperately to maintain control and define for ourselves every aspect of our lives, is what will actually bring us the least satisfaction. But just giving up your life isn't the key either. Jesus is specific about it. He says, whoever loses their life for me, it's God. Giving up our dreams and desires for what God gives is how we find the greatest satisfaction. I've probably said this before. I did not want to be a pastor when I was growing up. I fought real hard against God's call. And yet, this is absolutely what God has made me to do. I was also real nervous about getting married and about becoming a parent because of the change that that was going to mean in my life, the responsibilities that I was going to gain and the things that I'd never be able to do. And yet, God has brought profound joy and satisfaction in those endeavors. Maybe you can relate Maybe that's something further down the path for you, and that might encourage you a little bit. But I also want to be clear, enjoyment is not bad. God gave us dopamine receptors, right? All of the things about you that make happiness, God gave you those things. God is pro-pleasure. Yes, even marriage pleasure. There's a whole book in the Bible about it. God is even pro-relaxing. What do you think the Sabbath command is? If not, thou shalt take a day off. But the Bible doesn't focus on that. God's story is instead of that purpose and fulfillment is found in control of our appetites, in expressing them in the right way and in the right time and not being ruled by them. Wise self-control does not mean self-denial, at least not totally, not in a total sense. It doesn't mean that you never do the thing. It means that you do it wisely. Being wise doesn't mean never having cake or pizza, but we all know what too much cake or pizza looks like. Being wise doesn't mean never going on a trip or buying new clothes, but we all know what credit card debt looks like. 
I'm sure you can fill in the blank on whatever pleasure happens to come to mind where engaging it in the wrong way or doing too much of it can lead to disaster. But the point is this. Appetites left wild end up controlling us. Proverbs uses alcohol as an example, but feel free to substitute in whatever it is that you need to hear. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says that wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now, the problem here isn't the wine or the beer, right? That's not what it says. It's the being led astray by it because God is to be the primary focus of our lives. And anything that takes away from that is the problem, It comes up again in Ephesians chapter 5. The New Testament echoes something very similar where it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Again, using the example of alcohol and demonstrating that God is what's supposed to be central. Either we maintain control of our appetites or our appetites end up controlling us. So, who or what is influencing and controlling you. There's a helpful acronym for thinking about this, and it's HALT, H-A-L-T. Where is it that you turn when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Because these are the times when we're most vulnerable. We're, we, that's when we kind of see I like the, the idea of a, toothbook, or a tube of toothpaste, right? When you squeeze it, that's when what's inside comes out. Halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, these are things that squeeze us. But I want to encourage you that whatever comes out of the tube of toothpaste when you're squeezed, that is not the end of the story. In fact, even addiction is not the end of the story. If you are a Christian with an addiction, you are no less a Christian. Because we are not saved because of our righteousness, but because of God's goodness. We bring our pain and our addictions to Jesus. We don't hide them from Him, as if that would work anyway. So we maintain control of our appetites. The second area is control of our emotions. Just as God gave us appetites, but that they are prone to being abused, so too did God give us emotions. Feelings aren't a problem, right? They are given to us by God, but they can't rule us. So just as we saw Proverbs uses alcohol as something of a stand-in for all sorts of appetites, so too Proverbs uses anger as something of a stand-in for all sorts of emotions. In Proverbs 12, 16, we read, Fools show their annoyance, but the prudent overlook an insult. In Proverbs 18, we read, A hot-tempered person stirs conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Have you ever been in a situation where someone said or did something that made you see red? Did you feel that hot flush of anger rising? It's so tempting to just give in to that emotion, 
to get loud, to act, maybe even, depending on the situation, to hurt the person. And I'll be honest, sometimes that is exactly the way you should react, right? That is actually not wrong all the time. If you see someone in danger, someone actively in the process of being hurt by another person, that anger and that impulse to act is exactly what God designed you to do. So I want to be clear, again, emotion is not a problem, but sometimes it's not the right action. You know where I see this come up a lot for me? When one of my kids hurts the other one, that's my child, whom I love, and they've been hurt. <sighs> the one doing the hurting is also my child, whom I love. Fury is not the right reaction. Frankly, parenting is a giant exercise in self-control and exercise, controlling your emotions much of the time because you're often in those vulnerable places of being hungry and lonely and tired. But of course, parenting isn't the only place that this applies. But another thing to remember is that sometimes our emotions can lead us astray. In Proverbs 18, 17, we read, In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. How true is that? Think about all the times in your life when you've heard only one side of the story and been absolutely sure that you know what happened until you hear the other side. And it starts to sound like you were completely misled. Let's pick an example from a few years ago in 2019. Do you remember there was a group of students in Washington, D.C., from a high school called Covington Catholic. They were caught on camera harassing a First Nations elder who was singing beautifully in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Do you remember this? Do you remember the outcry? A CNN pundit screeched over Twitter about how this young man, the one in the center of this, this image, this child, right, he's under 18, had a punchable face. Another posted a picture of a wood chipper. I'm not kidding, implying something truly vile. Threats of violence and the destruction of these children's futures were everywhere. Do you remember this? Then the, new, then the whole video came out. Turned out the full video wasn't two minutes long. The full video was 45 minutes long. And it turned out that these kids were not the aggressors. They were not there harassing this man. In fact, they were the victims. They had been minding their own business, and then they'd been started to be harassed by another group, and this man piled on. This man who had initially been portrayed as a victim had in fact been another bully disrupting the students. And what happened? What happened to there? Right? Certainly there were bad actors involved. Certainly there were people who were actively trying to encourage a false narrative and anger for political gain. But what about the rest of us? What happened? We were led astray, but we were also led by our emotions. We allowed our initial reaction to be the final word. We allowed our emotions rather than our reason 
to rule. Four years later, even after the truth has come out, it remains to be seen whether these students have, in fact, had their lives ruined by this lie. So let's go back to a broader application. Are you controlled by your emotions? Not just anger. Candidly, this is my big struggle in weight loss. My emotions cause me to seek comfort in food. Can anyone Is anyone brave? Yeah, we are brave people. Right? But what other negative behaviors can you think of that you engage in because your emotions are in control? This also has faith applications, right? Feelings and faith are so often opposed because feelings are about right now and faith is, optimistically speaking, about something more distant, right? Because if it was present, it wouldn't be faith. When you feel far from God, you can't allow that emotion to drive you. When you feel like your sin is keeping you from him, that can't be allowed to control you. God loves us. His forgiveness is always ready and available, and he welcomes us with open arms. Feelings are a fantastic, beautiful thing, but they aren't supposed to be in the driver's seat of our lives. (coughs) Excuse me. Thirdly, the third area is control of our influences. Or perhaps a good phrase phrase this as control of our relationships. Proverbs has a lot to say about how we choose our relationships because our closest relationships are going to have a huge impact on who we become as time goes on. They say that you're the sum of the five people closest to you. I'm not sure that's precisely true, but I feel like it's worth thinking about anyway. The idea that you are the sum of these people closest to you. That being said, isolation is also destructive. In Proverbs 18.1, the New King James puts it, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Because when we're alone, we tend to turn inward. It's really hard when you have no influences and no accountability to fight against your own desires. You may have set yourself a goal. Maybe something as simple as cleaning up the kitchen before you go to bed. Right? Something really simple. Then everything's quiet, and it's you and the dishes, and suddenly it's very tempting to just go sit on the couch with your phone. And who would know? Can anyone relate? Right? This isolation, though, can also happen if your relationships are hollow. Do you have people in your life who can tell you no? Do you have people who can tell you when you're doing something unwise? And secondly, will you listen to them? That's the other key. But having that guidance is crucial. In Proverbs 11:14 we read for lack of guidance a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. And of course, the wise selection of advisors is extremely important because bad advisors can lead you astray very quickly, but so too is going alone. So here's a few things that Proverbs says about choosing friends 
and why we need to be wise and careful about who we allow to speak into our lives. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. I'll summarize all of these ideas this way. You become like the people that you spend time with. Not that we can't have people that we're pouring into, right? It's also important that we make ourselves available to those who are not as far along the road as we are. But at the same time, we need to be wise about the level of influence that we allow and the effect that it is having on us. We need to be wise in controlling our influences. So that's three areas, and I see we're a little short on time. What, what can you do, though? What can you do to grow in self-control? Well, the first thing is, well, let's call it growth. It's the idea that we're going to work on and we're going to engage with things that help us to be more like Jesus. Keep coming to church. Read your Bible. Find ways to exercise generosity. Get on a team and be part of something that God is doing. Start exercising those self-control muscles. You'll find a huge difference in your life. Secondly, prayer. All other spiritual practices aside, prayer is crucial and central to maintaining a life of wise self-control. Don't forget about that prayer walk today in our children's ministry. It's a great opportunity for everybody to participate. Which is what I love about prayer. Anyone can do it. This isn't something that you need a special calling for. This isn't something where you're going to have to get up in front of people. We can all be part of this, and we can all be part of what God's doing. Third, the third thing that you can do is accountability. Get around people who are on the same path. If you have a particular behavior that you're trying to get under control, then finding someone that you can talk to when you're struggling is immensely helpful. But even just generally, having Christian relationships is going to just help raise that ambient spiritual temperature in your life. Our small group ministry is going to be starting up again this fall. And even if you just wanted to join an interest group like the board game night, getting relationships that will help push you toward being more like Jesus is invaluable. So how do we exercise wise self-control? By controlling our appetites, our emotions, and our influences. And we can increase in self-control by being part of growth behaviors, by praying, and by getting some accountability in our relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the source of all wisdom. We go to your word to hear your thoughts, to understand how we should live. But it's not, these aren't dead words on a page that we read, God. This is the living and active breath of God spoken to our hearts. We pray that you would be alive and active in us, that you would be taking these words into our lives, that you would be bringing them to our remembrance this week as we encounter different situations.
where we need to apply this wisdom. Pray that you would be with us as we go. In your name we pray. Amen.